chapter five a of organic evolution this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. organic evolution by richard swan lull chapter five a bathymetric distribution definition bathymetric distribution concerns itself with the vertical range of organisms in space and means much more than mere altitude in that in passing from the highest alpine peak to the profoundest depths of the sea one would find a series of contrasting conditions which of necessity profoundly affect the organism of these the primary conditions are three one the air or water medium which determines the method of breathing is with few exceptions in each case prohibitive to the inhabitants of the others two the presence or absence of light not only modifies the animal directly but indirectly through its effect upon the food supply for assimilative plants which form the ultimate nourishment of all animate nature cannot exist where light is wholly absent three the third primary condition is the presence or absence of a substratum without which the organisms must be self-supporting either buoyant or able to swim this condition therefore determines the bionomic group to which the animal belongs whether plankton or nectin on the one hand or benthus on the other see chapter three the secondary conditions limiting bathymetric distribution are whether the water be fresh or salt and the increase of pressure with depth very slight for air-dwelling forms but relatively enormous for those dwelling in the sea three organic realms hence from the bathymetric as well as from the geographic standpoint three organic realms may be recognized the bathymetric divisions are geobiotic or terrestrial from the greek for land and pertaining to life limnobiotic or freshwater inhabiting lakes or rivers from the greek for lake halobiotic or marine or saltwater inhabiting the sea from the greek for sea these three realms stand in marked contrast to one another although as we shall see the inhabitants do intermingle to a certain extent at their lines of contact which also give opportunity for permanent intermigrations geobiotic or terrestrial realm the terrestrial realm extends from high tide mark along the shores of all continents and islands to the summit of the highest elevation it ranges in altitude therefore from lowlands to the alpine subregion and each division lowland upland 
prairie high plain or mountain range has its own distinctive fauna and flora governed by many influences but in part at least by altitude this limits quite effectively the character of the flora as for example the contrasting vegetation of the tropical mexican coastal lowlands on the one hand and of the temperate high plateau on the other the so-called timberline the limit of tree growth is also governed by altitude although varying in different regions due to latitude and climate one additional terrestrial subrealm is the cryptozoic or the subterranean caves from the greek for to hide and life the only place in the geobiotic realm where light is absent as we shall see in a later chapter chapter twenty three this forms a limited biologic environment which profoundly affects its denizens internal parasites and the wood-boring larvae of insects also dwell in a lightless environment and are consequently modified limnobiotic realm the terrestrial waters contain a rather limited fauna as comparatively few of the invertebrate phyla have ever attained a foothold therein this possibly is due in part to the freshness of the water but also to the flowing character of the terrestrial waters a condition to which the great majority of invertebrates with their meroplanktonic larvae cannot adapt themselves certain lakes and relic seas are the only bodies of fresh water of sufficient depth to have the deep-sea characteristics of absence of light and increase of pressure but we do not find such profound modifications in lacustrine forms as in those which people the abyss this is probably due in large measure to the evanescent character of all lakes from the geologic point of view they are individually so short-lived that there has not been time for any very marked adaptive characteristics to develop in their inhabitants thus for instance while phosphorescent or light-producing organs are so characteristic of deep-sea and nocturnal marine animals none are found either in the deep lakes or in the equally evanescent caves although in each instance they might be very useful in the struggle for existence halobiotic or marine realm biologically speaking the most important bathymetric realm is the marine for here we find all the contrasting characteristics abundantly developed except of course the atmospheric medium and in addition the ages during which the ocean has existed have afforded sufficient time for evolution to run its course the marine realm is divided into four sub-realms whose characteristics are as follows strand light substratum present floxy or shallow sea light 
substratum present pelagic light substratum absent abyssal dark substratum present or absent strand the strand or tidal zone is the transitional area between the marine and terrestrial realms for here the inhabitants are left bare twice daily by the receding tide and have to endure drying either by means of closable shells or other devices or burrow down into the moist sands or must be able to breathe both the air and the water the tidal zone is of course of very variable extent owing to the differing height of tides and the declivity of the strand itself and ranges from a width of a few feet to several and in rare cases to many miles in the bay of fundy the tides running into a constantly narrowing area grow proportionately higher until they attain the greatest altitude recorded in the world about sixty feet at the time of the highest tides thus in minas basin full-rigged deep-water ships may be seen lying in the red mud with no water in sight and yet a few hours later they will be borne on the bosom of the incoming tide Floxy. the term floxy which is derived from the german or shallow sea is applied to the waters overlying the continental shelf below low water mark this continental shelf is formed by the action of storm waves which are continually cutting back the shoreline and depositing the debris together with other land waste upon the area especially at its outer edge this margin which marks the extreme limit of wave action is in round numbers about six hundred feet below the surface of the sea or at the one hundred fathom line the continental shelf varies in extent as does the strand increasing in width at both the inner and outer margins and is narrowest along the newer shores of continents and islands and widest where the coastal area is old or possibly subsiding the slope of the continental shelf is in general long and smooth the bottom near the outer edge descending more or less rapidly to the more profound depths of the sea the floxy is of the utmost importance biologically for it has both light with its attendant vegetation and a substratum whereupon benthonic organisms may dwell furthermore its relative shallowness makes the presence of comparatively low physical barriers effective for the isolation which is so essential in evolution all of these factors light plant food movements of the waters warmth and isolation make the floxy a veritable hotbed of evolution its importance as such has been abundantly recognized 
so that it has been called the cradle of evolution Quote, the shore fauna is certainly the most representative of all faunas what pictures rise in the mind swiftly moving infusorians lashing their way through the water foraminifera with beautiful shells of lime slowly gliding on the fronds of seaweed calcareous sponges like little vases and more irregular flinty and horny sponges sometimes coating the rocks like the common crumb of bread sponge sometimes growing in beds like the plants they were once supposed to be hydroid zoophytes like miniature trees on rock or seaweed sea anemones and corals often like beds of flowers living an easy-going life waiting for food to drop into their mouths or stinging small passers-by unsegmented worms such as the living films which glide on the seaweeds or stones like mysteriously moving leaves and the nemertines or ribbon worms also covered with cilia but provided with a remarkable protrusible proboscis sometimes ejected so violently as a weapon that it breaks off altogether and wriggles like a worm itself the higher ringed worms or annelids in extraordinary numbers like nereus philodos and aphrodite itself so beautiful in themselves and in their names that we can understand the enthusiasm of the expert who is said to have named his seven daughters after seven favorite polychaetes the starfish creeping up the rocks with their strange hydraulic locomotor system the brittle stars using their lithe arms like gymnasts the sea urchins tumbling along the tips of their teeth and the sluggish sea cucumbers plunging their tentacles into the mud and then into their mouths the beautiful colonies of moss animals or bryozoa crusting stone and weed as if with lace or forming leaf-like fronds like the sea mat flustra which was one of the first animals charles darwin worked at or growing into calcareous tufts as if in mimicry of corals myriads of crustaceans such as water fleas acorn shells beach fleas sandhoppers nobody crabs sea slaters shrimps hermit crabs and shore crabs proper strange sea spiders neither crustaceans nor spiders like pycnogonum littorale clambering among the seaweeds and hydroids bivalves innumerable such as cockles and mussels oysters and razorfish herbivorous gastropods like periwinkles and voracious carnivores like the dog whelks and buckies sedentary limpets with a slight range of movement and a slight memory for locality 
since beyond a narrow radius they fail to find their way home an occasional cuttlefish caught in a shore pool and many more further out a large representation of ascidians or sea squirts both simple and compound which lie at the base of the vertebrate series the lancelets amphioxus buried all but their mouth in the fine sand true shore fishes like sand eels and gunnels and shannies an occasional reptile like the lizard amblyrhynchus which swims out among the rocks or a poisonous sea snake or a turtle coming ashore to lay her eggs numerous shorebirds like oyster catcher and rock pipit gull and cormorant and an occasional mammal like otter and seal on the whole a more representative fauna than in any other life area End quote. keen struggle for existence quote, it is evident that the shore area must be characterized by a keen struggle for existence in the open sea there is practically no limit to the floating room and swimming room but the shore is narrow and crowded in a rock pool there is often no vacant niche there is competition even for foothold it is important for instance that the limpet which makes little journeys in search of seaweed to nibble should not go too far else it will not find its way back and will have lost the spot which its shell has grown to fit it is curious too to see the american slipper limpet one growing on the top of another to the number of four or five suggestive of the root idea of a skyscraper End quote. thompson pelagic realm the pelagic realm embraces all of the superficial waters of the ocean down to the depth to which effective sunlight penetrates it is characterized physically by the presence of light and the absence of a substratum in the upper portion there is variable temperature and frequent and violent wave action while in its lower strata the movement of the waters and the temperature are greatly reduced the distance to which sunlight penetrates varies being manifestly greater in the tropics where the sun's rays may be perpendicular to the surface of the sea and less toward either pole where the rays become more and more oblique by exposing photographic plates at various depths it has been ascertained that light penetrates in the tropics to a depth of three thousand two hundred fifty feet though this is true only of the ultraviolet and blue rays red and green rays fail to penetrate to one thousand six hundred twenty five feet but at three hundred twenty five feet all of the rays of ordinary bright sunshine are present though red light is the least strong 
assimilating plant life which as we have seen forms the ultimate food supply of all animals is dependent upon the presence of these red orange and yellow rays which virtually restricts it to the upper five hundred feet of oceanic waters the importance of this is such that the vertical limit of the pelagic zone may be placed at about six hundred feet or one hundred fathoms hence it becomes a seaward extension of the phloxy owing to the absence of a substratum however no benthonic forms can exist in the pelagic realm but all must be either nectonic or planktonic the pelagic realm constitutes therefore the high seas and is not only the meeting-place of the commerce of all nations but the great means of dispersal for countless forms of marine life including the meroplanktonic larvae of shallow and deep-water benthus abyssal realm the abyssal realm is that portion beyond the limits of the continental shelf and beneath the pelagic and includes all waters below a depth of one hundred fathoms more than one hundred five fathoms according to professor e forbes in the century dictionary this realm may be divided into the abysso-pelagic zone wherein there is no substratum and all organisms like those of the pelagic must swim or float and the abysso-benthonic zone in which a substratum is present the main characteristics of the abyssal realm are one absence of light light of course must exist in the upper transitional strata but it lacks the essentials to assimilating plant life hence none exists the animals therefore are all either carnivorous or feed upon dead organic matter some of which is of plant origin oozes see chapter twenty three below the transitional realm the darkness except for phosphorescence is profound two quiescence there is an utter absence of movement aside from the sluggish ocean currents of the greater depths the progress of which is immeasurably slow three cold below a certain depth the waters in all oceans the world over have become permanently chilled nearly to the freezing point of fresh water and all diurnal and seasonal variations of temperature and those due to the climatic zones cease to exist the mean temperature of the atlantic at the surface is sixty eight degrees fahrenheit at five hundred fathoms thirty seven degrees at one thousand fathoms thirty five point six degrees the mediterranean on the other hand is warmer owing to the barrier at the strait of gibraltar which prevents the circulation of the deeper and colder waters 
at equivalent depths the mediterranean temperatures are surface seventy five degrees fahrenheit five hundred fathoms fifty five degrees fahrenheit and one thousand fathoms fifty five degrees four pressure the pressure of the abyssal waters is enormous increasing directly with the depth the ratio of increase being about one ton to the square inch of surface for every thousand fathoms of depth as compared with the normal fifteen pounds to the square inch at sea level thus the abyssal realm constitutes a simple biologic environment of vast extent but of comparatively uniform and changeless character and hence one not conducive to rapid evolutionary change none of the deep-sea creatures is old geologically speaking for while from twenty-five to thirty-five paleozoic genera and a larger number of species are known in the present shallow seas none of the animals which people the deep sea are older than the mesozoic they seem to be all migrants from shallow water which have become adapted to the deep sea conditions but there is in no instance the evolution of a new race of animals exclusively restricted to the abyssal realm end of chapter 5a recording by lucretia b